Hi, I'm Adrian in suburban Chicagoland, and you're listening to the Your Parenting Mojo podcast with Jen Lumenlon. Did you know that Jen's book will be published in August 2023? It's about making parenting easier and helping us to address some pretty big social challenges at the same time. If you'd like to be notified when Jen comes to a town near you for a book reading, and maybe even bring her to your town for a workshop about the tools in the book, you can do that by visiting yourparentingmojo.com forward slash book. I'm looking forward to seeing her when she comes to Chicago. Hello and welcome to the Your Parenting Mojo podcast. Today we are here with special guest Virginia Mendez, who is a mother of two and co-founder of thefeministshop.com. Virginia is the author of two books for children on gender and consent and has spoken to over 2,000 school children promoting critical thinking and inviting them to understand what is behind their already formed ideas about some things being for boys and other things being for girls. Her latest book is called Childhood Unlimited, Parenting Beyond the Gender Bias, and in it she says, her ideas, short interviews with experts in the field of gender differences and similarities, and super practical things parents can do to help break down gender stereotypes. Welcome, Virginia. It's great to have you here. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited. All right. So let's get everybody on the same page before we start. Can you begin by telling us what is sex and what is gender? Yes, I think it's a great point to start because when we're having all these conversations, a lot of people get both of them confused and, and we need to be very clear and separate them. So on one hand, we have sex, which describe the biological aspect and traits. And we normally think about it in a very binary way. So there's male and there's female. But even scientists agree that, that that's not the case. So we have people that are intersex. They calculate that it's around 1.7%, which is more or less the same as red hair. I live in Ireland, so I can guarantee that there's red hair people. So definitely there must be intersex people as well. In the other hand, we have gender, and gender is a personal identity, and it's a social construct. What I felt was confused. I thought I'd maybe know what I was doing as a parent, and I didn't. And, and I was scared. I was thinking, what if I can't do this? What if I'm not good enough? What if, what if I'm not cut out for this? And everybody else seems to be managing but me. And what if people find out that I'm not meant for this or that, that I'm not cut out for this, I'm not good at this, what what happens then? So it was a, it was a bad place to be. It's a very scared, very confused. The parenting membership will be open for enrollment between May 5th and 15th. We have sliding scale pricing and a 100% money back guarantee. Learn more at yourparentingmojo.com forward slash parenting membership. And because it's a social construct, then obviously it cannot be binary because it will adapt to the society and the different needs. And the way I like to think about it and, and the way I've it always impacted me more when I've been hearing to trans people is that gender is their home. That's the place where they feel like their true self. That's why the fact that we keep trying to, to box it and to narrow it um it's a bit under natura because it should be about, you know, what way I can express myself in the way that is more true to my my real identity. Mm -hmm. Okay. And and so you use the word intersex there. And I just want to sort of make sure that we're clear for folks who are hearing that for the first time. The, the way I understand it is that there are genitalia that we traditionally think of as male genitalia. There are genitalia that we traditionally think of as female genitalia. And there is an enormous 
variation continuum between those two things, right? Is is that right? Well, it's the fact that whenever we think about female or male, we tend to think about vulva or penis. And we have to think that there's any more other things. So there is the, the gonads, the chromosome, the gene expression, the hormone levels, the brain structures, the secondary sex characteristic. So the way they interact with each other is not always as crystal clear as, you know, everything aligns in a way that make me say that this person is just purely female. So there is that aspect, there is that spectrum in which people have different variations. And what I have in my book, and it was given by Kate Hildred, which is a a trans expert, um, they say that there are at least 16 different natural variations. So again, not even intersex is very clear. It's not one thing. It's a lot of different things. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, cool. Thanks for that clarification. So, so when children are young, what differences are there between what we think of as boys' brains and what we think of as girls' brains? Well, the reality is that there's not that much difference. I mean, there are a lot of difference between people, but but not necessarily because the fact that there are boys and there's girls. So we have this understanding that boys and girls are very different, almost a species. But there is there is a self-fulfilling prophecy within it. So if we think about uh, the neuroplasticity, we think about things that we like ourselves, things that I always think about miso soup. The first time you try it, you're like, no, thank you. And how, you know, you develop it and you're like, oh my God, I love it. How can I live without this? Or, or other things that are cultural. Like I've seen in myself a lot of things that has impacted my taste uh, my personality. I'm a Spanish. We tend to be very loud. Again, because of the climate, we tend to live more outdoors versus Finnish. So there's a lot of things that shape who we are. And we kind of are okay to understand that, except for some reason when we talk about gender. When we talk about gender, we kind of think that boys are born like in dinosaurs, girls are born like in unicorns. It's just what it is, is nature. So that is a little bit the message. Like, okay, let's understand and let's agree that even if it's not a complete black cam- blank canvas, because not two Spanish people are also the same, uh, we all come with our preloaded genetic and whatever thing. The fact that we are boys and a girl, that doesn't fight, it doesn't define as much. And there's a lot of things that we pour into those boxes and into those expectations that shape our brains, that make those big difference at the end. Dr. Gina Ripon, which I love, she's a neuro neuroscientist and she's a specific, she's a specialized in neuroimage. So she's done a lot of experiments and boys and girls and men and women. And she talks a lot about of neuro trash and how whenever we see this data about there's so different brains here and there, whenever you, you know, understand the data, they're not that different. But also those experiments tend to be done with adults. So by that time, those difference tend to be their response to something like they don't necessarily have to be the cause, but maybe is the consequence of something that has happened before, which is an invitation to to feel freer and feel, you know, more more willing to to open and, and limit kids in that way. Like if, if we run away from the idea of brains are boys are and girls are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I wonder if we can talk through some of the specific examples that you give in your book, right? I mean, you you give the idea that uh, a parent might say, well, I haven't done anything. My daughter just likes pink. <laughs> and uh, a fascinating one that I found was parents are two and a half times more likely to Google, is my son gifted than is my daughter gifted? So th- this, I mean, this is starting super early, right? So can you can you walk us through how these things stack up as as our children go through their lives? 
Yeah, and um, and what you were saying about the Google thing, um, the counter the counter research is like parents tend to research more. It's my daughter fat from whenever they're very early, which is absolutely crazy. Yeah, I get a lot of it. My daughter, and I haven't done anything. This just has happened. I think the part that we forget is that A, all of us hold those bias. I mean, there is a huge element of unlearning. And also, unless you're paying a lot of attention, we see things as normal. And if we see them as normal, we don't do anything to correct them. I think I said this in the book as well, that in Spain, we pierce the ears of the girls And I never thought anything about it. It was very normal. I didn't care. And then my husband said, like, I think it's very weird. And I was like, absolutely not. It's normal. Nothing happened to me. And he was like, Virginia, I need you to think this again. They pierce babies (laughs) because they look cuter because they're girls. And I was like, oh, my God, we're barbarians. Like, what is this? And I was really shocked because I never thought of it. So I think that's what happened with a lot of the things. Like they're so normalized. We don't see them. We're just like, it's just what it is. That's what what we do. And also we underestimate the power of the society as a whole. You know, the books that our kids read or we read, the songs, the language. I mean, there's so many aspects that send in a very similar message that, that we feel like, that's just normality. And and if we have offered once our girl, you know, a track, we think like, but my job here was done. <laughs> I don't know how she can still like pink. And I'm telling this as a mother of a girl who loves pink. Girls, especially from three to seven, they go to a phase because it's so insanely marketed at them that it's very difficult to be. And also it's not about demonizing girly things. It's about just opening the things. But um. I just don't think we see, unless you point at the things and you like, look at this and look at this and look at this. We just go through it and just thinking it's just normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And okay. So on, on the idea of pink, right. I read somewhere that I think it was in 1920s, 1930s, pink was a boy's color. <laughs> I mean, how this is how arbitrary it is, right. That it can be a boy's color and then 50 or so years later, it becomes a girl's color <laughs> because somebody, some marketing company somewhere decided to make the shift. And, and if you think about it, the, the the idea that they had about it was that red was very passionate and very mm-hmm. kind of war related. So by putting it a little bit pink was like the boys version, like the lighter version uh, of that. Okay, I and didn't know that's where it came from. And, and even like the kings, if you look at old pictures of kings, they tend to be wearing reds and pinks and those kind of colors, very warm colors. And if you look at pictures of the Virgin Mary through history and art, they tend to be in blue which looks more pure and dainty. And so it was just one of those things that, you know, suddenly got changed and got reinforced. I think there was a lot of uh, Kennedy and and even the, um, the whenever they dressed, whenever they dressed Rosie, the Riveteer as blue, and they, they wanted the women back. They wanted to, to separate that idea of women as worker from women as back to the domestic life. There was this Jackie Kennedy dressing pink and um, Marilyn Monroe dressing pink. There were a lot of very feminine figures in pink and, and it got uh, much more attached. But again, it's not natural. It's not that not girls are naturally attached to pink. It's just it's just a color. Yeah. Wow, that's fascinating. <laughs> Thanks for digging into that a little bit. Um, and so, so let's talk about some of the other ways that this happens, right? Because I mean, this is this is surrounding us. And so, you you talk a lot about children's books in your book, Childhood Unlimited. We recently finished reading the entire twenty-two book series of Redwall. <laughs> and, 
Yes, it, it was. I mean, they're they are a little repetitive. I have to say, I was ready for it to be done about ten books before it was actually done. The vast majority of the heroes are males, especially in the early books. I think they probably got some feedback at some point saying, "Where are the girls?" Because suddenly they start introducing a few of them. The the rats and the weasels are always the bad characters, and they are virtually always male. The only female bad characters are the sly foxes, and. I mean, the the female characters, the good ones, are always described as pretty. And my favorite example was when there were two characters, a boy and a girl character, who were in the dark hold of a ship, right? They can't see a thing. And the female character is described as pretty. (laughs) Just in case. Just Just in case. case. (laughs) I mean, and and they're going to, there's this heteronormativity presumed that if you, if there's a girl character shows up where we start guessing, okay, who's she going to be paired off with by the end of the book? (laughs) And it it just blew my mind. And so we were, we were talk through this stuff every time it showed up and and it got to the point where my daughter and I would just kind of look at each other. Yep. There it is again. (laughs) And every time the, the word pretty came up, she had me insert the phrase definitely not before it. So the definitely not pretty character. <laughs> so, so that's how I've seen it show up. But I am curious about how you see it show up because you read a lot more children's books than I do, I think. Well, it, it's very interesting. There was a, a debate not that long ago in um, in UK. I don't know if it got to um, America as well because it was about Roald Dahl mm. and the whole rewriting. Yeah. Um, so I was going to, I talked about the possibility of using those things as conversation starters. So that's exactly what you did. And that's what I cannot encourage you not. We cannot rewrite all the literature it's done. I mean, obviously, I buy more new books than old books because they're more aligned with who I am. Yeah. Um, but when I get books given or when my kids choose books that I'm like, oh, we talk about it. But everything that you say, the heteronormativity in the books is is insane. It's very expected. Even in the way whenever we talk about kids, whenever you have a girlfriend or is this your boyfriend? I'm like, oh. And, and yeah, it's that idea of the pretty, uh, who talks the more, even who occupies more space in the illustrations, the postures. Like once you start digging about all the little messages, it's very pervasive. It's, it's everywhere. And yeah, it's just... Well, to me, it's, it's literally all the things that you say, the way that girls tend to be or women tend to be carers. So whenever they're representing, they tend to be a teacher or a mother or a figure that is the best friend that really cares about everybody, like kindness and caring for others and being pretty are the things. And then the role models, like they're not the, you know, they're not the messy one or or the one that is clumsy or anything. They have to be always proper. Uh, so it's all the things, the way they express their, their feelings uh, in the books as well. So I think whenever, like, it's a very interesting experiment. Like if you go to kids' books and you you reverse the the genders and you say she to he and he to he. There's things that you suddenly start feeling very uncomfortable with, and you're mm. like, oh, I wonder why I feel uncomfortable. Or things that you didn't realize because again they were normal. Suddenly they're very obvious. They're like, oh yeah, why are we keep saying that this man is very handsome all the time? Like who cares? Or or you miss things in other characters. So yeah, that's an experiment that I highly recommend. Even when you're buying something, like a screen, quickly screen it and change it and be like, 
mm, is it awkward? Will I feel uncomfortable? Um, and get it from there. Yeah. And so I was thinking about how does this happen, right? And and you mentioned in your book that your first book for children featured white characters because that's what you knew. And then someone came up to you and said something, something like, you know, oh, I love the book. And I hope one day I can see people who look like my mm-hmm. kids. And and I imagine that the same process must happen for gendered uh, representation so that it's just what people expect to see because it's so baked into so many of the books that are around already. Do you see it in the same way? It's just a uh, blind spot. I, I generally don't think there's badness. It's just that people just just write about the things that they know or the way they understand the world. And because we understand the world in a very sexist way, we just perpetuate it in a way. And again, it's not calling a girl dirty. I was like, dirty, I'm sorry. <laughs> you can say that again if you want. <laughs> yeah, whenever we call a character pretty, we're doing it in a way that we're we're praising for what we think is their higher currency. You know, we're saying like, oh, girls really care about being pretty. How important is for a girl being pretty? And I want to say, so we're saying as a positive thing, the way when, when people stop my daughter in the street and they say, oh, you're so pretty. I know they're not trying to undermine her. They're making a stronger, I believe, that she's starting to hold. So it's the same with the books. It's more like it's lack of awareness. Uh, I remember whenever uh, my friend told me that and I just it just makes so much sense. And I was and also the first instinct is almost offensiveness as in, well, but they're a family and they're all white. Uh, and that's what, you know, and, and I remember talking about about it with my with my dad. And he was saying like, well, it makes more sense because more people in Spain or in England where you live are white. So it would make sense the same way that a lot of people will say, but it makes more sense that girls are representing doing those things because more girls look like doing those things. But it's like, yeah, but that's not this. That's not the point. The point is like we need to have a more diverse, a more inclusive representation. So and we need to change the narrative of what is perceive as quotes normal versus what is real and create and represent a world and, and give the kids a world in which everybody fits. So so yeah, it was a big learning and, and obviously I changed it. Uh, in my second book, I introduced new characters and um, a girl that is Asian, a boy that is uh, mixed race. And I think, and I learn again and I'll read the book again and somebody will spot something or I'll learn more and I'll be like, oh, the next time I do it better. Because that's how we grow. We grow mm-hmm. by being challenged and by, and by owning our mistakes and, and just use them as conversation starters of what's next. So I think that's the part that we can do with our kids as well. Just saying like, we used to do that because that's what we believe, but we know better, don't we? Like, have we know, do we know people like that? And those conversations are golden because that's when they really learn. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And so I just want to point to the book as having a list of recommended books for uh, yes. folks who, who need some more guidance on ones to get started to disrupt the, the patterns of some of the things you may have been reading. So um, so let's go on to movies, right? So we have we have Frozen now. <laughs> uh, we even have a Black Little Mermaid now. That's brand new as of the time of, of this recording. Yeah. So are things getting better for gender in the movies? Uh Yes, definitely yes. But also, I found very interesting that you said um, Frozen, which is the big, the big example that everybody gives you as like we've made it. Disney is feminist. 
And I was, whenever I was reading the book and I was writing, reading about it, I can't remember the exact percentage. You can probably look at it, but the percentage of people that talk is extremely severely male, something like almost 60% of the talkings are men. And if you think about Frozen, and I guess everybody here has probably watched it. Once you take away Anna and Elsa, everybody else, it's mainly a male character, like Sven and Olav and stuff I was like I forget the name but even the ogre you know the representation whenever uh, Christophe arrives the first thing that the ogre says is like give me your clothes I'm gonna wash them that's the ogre mother and the father is that wise figure you know whenever they're all sitting in the table to discuss what they're gonna do with Arundel all men where are the women you know like it's extremely an outdated film it's just that it happens to have two female main characters and it's not only about romantic love. I, I like Frozen, but I don't think it's the feminist hero that we need. I think Moana is an excellent, it's a probably much more feminist example, as in there is no really romantic uh, thing. The grandmother is a big figure. You know, it's more nature-based. Uh, I think we, Disney has done other films that are definitely in the right direction. And in general, I think the, the TV shows and all those kind of things, they're listening to parents because we are voting every time we go to certain films, every time we stop watching something and watch something else. And at the end of the day, they're following the money. So I do think we are going in the right direction. I also think that we have so much work to do. Sometimes I watch things and I'm like, no, no, don't do that. So yeah, I think um, still a long way to go, but but yeah, celebrating all the victories because they're definitely some. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, also thinking about the kinds of the, the physical presentation of the bodies of the girls who are in these movies. Right. I mean, there is one right way to be in a body yeah. <laughs> if you are a girl. Clearly. And it's clearly impossible to attain because otherwise what would be the fun. If yes. we could not aspire to be something impossible, what would be the fun? Yeah, again, all the there was I was watching something the other day about the representation of noses between the the good characters and the bad characters, or and as well the weights, like a lot of bad characters are fat yeah. and they have big noses. The good characters tend to be thin and really pointy, cute noise noses. So all those things that that it's again that mix between the, the white supremacy the patriarchy, the capitalist, like all those things like mixed together and served to the kids in a very palatable way and with a lovely, very catchy song. (laughs) You know, it's like, oh, that's good. That that can't be bad because I've been singing it for hours. But we we have a lot to unpack still. And and it almost feels like it has to be always a trade-off. Like you cannot be both. So if you're going to have... Uh, let's say uh, a black mermaid, she has to be thin and absolutely gorgeous. Mm-hmm. We could never, you know, like don't, or if you're going to have a fat character, then it has to be extremely feminine and kind and super caring and selfless and, and white. Like we, it's almost like you're allowed one strike and even that people will go after you. But but that's you, that's what you get. You get one. Everything else has to be, you know, following the rules of the boxes. Yeah. Yeah. And and as you're saying that, I'm also thinking about the I mean, even I don't know if this is more insidious, but maybe more hidden ways that some of this stuff shows up. Um, just last night, we were reading the kids book, uh, Poppy, which is about mice. And, you know, they're living together. The main character is a girl. It's Poppy. And she and her dad have to go and visit the owl to ask permission for half of their family to go and move to another place because there's, there's too many of them. And 
and you know the the father is this you know person in charge. He wears a thimble to to show how dominant he is, and nobody wants to listen to him. But he you know w- wants to assert his authority. And then Puppy gets chosen to go and visit the owl with him. And the uh, the mother character is like, okay, Puppy, now just don't do anything that's going to upset your father. <laughs> And I'm like, <laughs> this is patriarchy, right? This is this is the mother figure passing on the patriarchal message of uh, it is not okay for you to exert your opinion, to say that I don't want to do this. You have to make sure to placate the uh, the feelings of your the delicate feelings of your all seeing, all knowing, all powerful father. Um, and so, yeah, we had to pause a little bit. <laughs> have a little conversation there sorry yeah sometimes it's like you're in something like sorry we're gonna have to (laughs) my kids have sometimes i'm like just read the book (laughs) (laughs) yeah we'll talk about this later okay you remind me later like uh, or i change things on the go because i still read the books to my kids because they're very small yeah because i can't sometimes i'm like and i'm not reading that And we're not doing this. Yeah. But yeah, it's true that it's it's those small things that we don't see. And then when we see them, they're massive. Then yeah. when we see them, we're like, how can these have gone through a publisher, an illustrator, an editor, and nobody saw it? Sometimes that's that's what I'm I wonder, like how especially in films, like how many people yeah. have seen this script? Yeah. And nobody at some point said like, are we going to say that in 2023? Really? So yeah, I think that's the part that it's far too normalized and, and we need to do the work of the, just the light in the, the light. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so let's move on and talk a bit about the language that we use. And I, I have a couple of, of thoughts on this. And uh, firstly, is that uh, Karis goes to a, my daughter goes to a not school program and there are several teachers there who are gender non-binary and they actively teach the children to share their pronouns on a regular basis and to not assume somebody's pronouns by their presentation. And so Karis will now refer to any person that she has met who has not told her, their pronouns as they, or she will just repeat their name uh, instead of saying his or her uh, or their. And so we actually do this as well now because she corrects us. <laughs> and so we started doing it as well. And at that point, it dawned on me how many books and movies assume that we know the gender of the person without any indication other than the fact that they have long eyelashes. <laughs> That's a And I think it's very rare my kids do it sometimes and I I find my brain sometimes be like oh which person and I love that they do it and I went I tried to be very intentional when I say it um especially with with things or with animals or or things like that but when they say it I find like oh how interesting that I'm uncomfortable as in or not that I'm uncomfortable but but that I feel like there's convert that there's information missing because our brain is always looking for those cues of like how could I know who this person is if I don't know this one thing? Yeah, it was super uncomfortable for me to, to, to yeah. do it at first, I have to say. I agree with you. And it has become much more comfortable over time. And I think that's in the, the uncomforting which we learned, the, the uncomforting which is like, oh, wow, it's fascinating that I don't care if this. So if Eric says, oh, mom, I was talking with a person today and they said, and I'm like, and I never ask because I don't want to make a deal of it. But I'm like, a person? <laughs> who is this person? You know, like, who is this person? But I don't care if the person is tall or short. I, you know, like the part that my brain is telling me, like, we are lacking information here is the gender, which is, again, it, it shows how much we're cluttered and how much we are 
um, define and how much we need to open the spectrum because more and more, and it's not because it's trendy, it's not because it's TikTok, but more and more people are comfortable saying like, look, that's not who I am. Um, and much more people are finding the language and the space and the permission to tap into their non-binary existence and identity in a freer way. So we are going there. So the sooner we train our brains and the sooner we we do what they our kids are learning to do in a much more um in a younger age, the better. But it is it is amazing that that, that she does already. I think it's it's brilliant. Um, and also that idea of non-binary people don't know you, androgynous. You know, it can be like a person that looks very feminine and it feels like, you know, I am non-binary. And I think that's the part of, for all of us that maybe grow up in a very binary society. That's the part that just like, I don't understand it. And I get a lot of the people when I talk about these things, a lot of people are like, I just don't understand it. Like if they're non-binary, why are they dressed like that? Or why are they showing up like that? It's like, Oh, but it's like, but you don't need to understand it. You know, like that's the fun part. Like the great part is like, it doesn't matter if you understand it. You just have to respect it. You just have to, you know, that's all they're asking. And then if you want to understand it and want to read more about it, amazing. But but nobody's even going that far yet. I don't think anybody's even asking for full understanding of everything. It's more about, you know, let's full support, full acceptance um, and let them lead the conversation and the journey. But I'm really excited about our kids and our generation growing in a, while all this is exploding and it's happening. I think it's um, it's amazing and it's invaluable for them. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, and I think that we we are probably still outliers here, even in liberal California. <laughs> I don't see a lot of families outside of this circle doing it, but I'm hoping that it, that it's going to um, become more common. And yeah, I mean, contrasting that with the way I grew up, right? I mean, when I was in primary school, I won a prize for growing the tallest sunflower except that I won one of two prizes for growing the tallest sunflower because I won the girl's prize <laughs> and somebody else won the boy's prize. I mean, a, a girl's prize and a boy's prize for growing the tallest sunflower. <laughs> I know. We, we had a sports day today. Uh, actually, my kids are school and they split them in boys and girls. They are P1 and P2. We, my husband and I, out of curiosity, we chronometer the difference <laughs> between between them. And it was like, you are separating kids for the sake of one second. <laughs> that's the difference between the girls' groups and the boys' groups. And again, like just get them to raise and then split them and be like the 10 fasters here are group A, the 10 less fast, you know. And again, how much easier? Because there are kids non-binary in that school. Out of a statistics, some kids in that schools are being remembered and put constantly where they feel like this really is not my size. I don't feel like I fit here. And we are constantly putting them in those two things, in, in things that, as you said, are completely unnecessary. What, what is the difference that it makes growing um, a flower as a girl or as a boy just completely irrelevant? So yeah, hopefully that's hopefully that's where we're going, in which those categories are starting to blur a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and and that maybe some of the the places where we see differences in these kinds of things, right? Where uh, girls speak earlier than boys, but really not very much, and maybe a lot of it is around how we talk to girls and the ways that we encourage them to play, and that if we were to treat children more evenly, then perhaps those differences wouldn't be as large anyway. Yeah, and and I think that's. 
that's key. Whenever people tell you like, but look, and I get that a lot because of how I do look. They're different. <laughs> I have evidence. <laughs> I have evidence. Like we were in a piñata, in a party, and there was a piñata, and the girls were hating it, like, and the boys were like hating it. And all the mothers were like, there you go. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and that's it. End of the conversation. And I was like, no, no, <laughs> no, no. I was like, how is this not a consequence? Like, what shows do your kids watch? You know, how much time outdoors you give to your kids? How many rackets does your son has? And what about your daughter? And what kind of toys you give her? And and the role models that they have around them. And whenever they turn on TV and we're sporting people doing sports, like what what I'm seeing is something that has happened to those kids and, and to those boys and to those girls. I'm not seeing the evidence that, and that's it, end of the debate, they are natural. It's like, oh, that shows already from how early those difference um start playing a, a, um an effect they they start showing up yeah absolutely okay so one of the things that i loved most about your book there were lots of cool things in it one of the things i liked the most about it were the why it matters stories and you have three of those can you maybe just briefly uh tell us a story arc of why it matters for jane doe yeah so the way i i i wrote the book I started probably more scientific and is this is like laying out some bases and then going deeper in some of the aspects. But I don't think any of that matters if we don't understand why it matters. As in, okay, well, so so what I was trying to do with those stories, just follow the story of any girl that I is is part of those, you know, like if we put all that information together. Because one of the things that I am more accused of is whenever it's like, oh, it's just a toy, Virginia. It's just a toy. It's just a book. You know, like it, it's just, yeah. it's just that one thing. But I was like, if it was just that one thing, I wouldn't care. But it's never just that one thing, right? So when I wrote those stories about um, Jane Doe and John Doe and Jodo, I was trying to articulate it. So, so I imagine this Jane Doe, live in the hospital and again with a big you know band in her head and just very flowery and everybody telling her how beautiful it is and and I remember the cards that I received when my daughter was born and it was all pink and all like unicorns and the clothes they were dressing so I just followed that little girl about all the things that that she's exposed to so the songs that they're singing to her and what are we telling in those songs which are the Rolls models that she's been uh, around. Like she has many more teachers. Her mother is the most normal present figure. Whenever she goes to the park, there's other mothers. And how she starts seeing herself in carer figures. And, and if you ask little girls what they want to do, they tend to be mothers and teachers or vets, or, you know, it has to be something very caring because that's what they're seeing around. And again, the toys that she's given and how the people talk to her and then we tell them, be careful all the time and don't, don't play with the boys. They can be a little bit rough and how, so basically is that idea of seeing develop things. Like whenever you put together and you're like, oh yeah, well, I see that. I see how all this caring narrative, all these, your very beautiful narrative, how all those things um, start building up because then suddenly it's not just that one song. It's like that song and the books and the toys and the language. And then you go to school and what are we told? And then 
the way girls are pit against each other and, you know, we don't like each other and how you have a very narrow space, you know, like either too loud or you're too shy or or you're too prude or you're just like, like how we as women navigate that little, you know, little space in which we are acceptable before we are too much of something. And I think it's easier whenever you see it in a baby and you see that baby, let's say, aesthetically in your head grow rather than when you see it in yourself because you're like, but I was okay. But whenever you put all the things together, it's like, oh, well, there's a lot there. Like we all have been through and, and it's the story of all of us in a way or in another. Maybe that was not exactly you or you were more rough or whatever. But we all have all those things, like all those representation, the way we're objectified, the way we're interrupted, the way we're um, reduced to things. I'm very similar with boys. Like whenever I have a boy and a girl, and I always say that it's much more intuitive to raise girls than to raise boys. As in, once you understand this, the intuitive part is like, yes, you know, like go and be a pioneer, go and break molds. But with a boy, sometimes you have to be like, nope, you know, like listen. Like we're talking a lot about consent, um, like which is a topic that I'm <laughs> very passionate about. And and sometimes Eric says things that are a bit manipulative to Nora, like Nora said no to something, but Nora, I really want that. And I was like, Eric, you need to learn when somebody's saying no. She's obviously uncomfortable and she doesn't want to hurt your feelings, but she's saying no in every way she knows. So you need to learn to listen this no. So I think, again, when we think about sexes, we don't think about the way this whole society is shaping our boys and how much potential we're taking away from them. But again, if you put it all together, like... You know, you get the hospital and it's all fire trucks and, and predators and bulls and, and you know, and roar. Everything's loud and, and you know, you fall. Come on, you're a big boy. Back to the bike again, rather than just falling. Oh, my God, are you OK, my baby? And, you know, this we're toughening them up and, and you know, and, and we're more strict and, and we allow things and we justify things that we wouldn't with girls. And we don't let them play with certain things or we don't offer as in Eric had dresses and he doesn't wear any dresses anymore because he is not interested. But whenever we get hand-me-downs and there's dresses his size, do you want this? And he said yes for a while and he was wearing a dress. Like how many times we offer dresses to boys? We don't because we're like, that's too much. That's a step too much. We don't want them to be different. So the lines of what it's acceptable for boys is still very narrow because as long as they stepped into anything feminine, it's a downgrade. Then suddenly it's like, whoa, I cannot do that to him. Like he's going to be ridiculed. He's going to be lesser off. So again, that story of why it matters follows that kids and how that kid sees himself overrepresented. Like if you turn the TV and everybody looks like you. And and again, my kid is white, but I'm, you know, so even more so, even more like, okay, the world is white men, white boys saving the day in a lot of different things. And there's Harry Potter and there's, you know, there's all those kids and how that entitlement comes from seeing yourself as the human neutral, because the world tells you that that's what it is. And then you lose perspective and you lose that empathy with what the others are, because the others are like another reason. They're just like a niche. They're like a different area of your normality. Your normal, everybody else is just a a different part of it. So again, like how we are not letting them explore their feelings, the, the way they build relationships is not as deep. They, they are not allowed to ask for help. They're hypersexualized, which again is very unprotective in terms of whenever they suffer from sexual assault or the way it affects their mental health, if they're not always ready for it. 
they have to be more reckless. In France, they're studying that toxic masculinity is actually a danger for driving. Like there's a lot of driving accidents that happen because of toxic toxic masculinity and having to come across as relentless, wearing, you know, seatbelts is gay. <laughs> like <laughs> being fast is masculine, you know, when being not being a scare is masculine, which makes you die younger, among other things. But like they are. So we're not helping them either. We're not letting them have fulfilling, nurturing relationships, embracing parenting in the same way or sexual relationships in the same way. And you can see it. Like if you start getting all the little details that builds their existence, it's much easier to see. It's like, oh, I can see how we got there. And it's not that I hate men. It's just that society is shaping them in a way that allows them to become people that that is not benefiting anyone. And again, even more so for non-binary people or trans people, like the world is already difficult to navigate. As a teenager, for example, and dating as a non-binary people, going to the doctor, like every time I see forms now, it's like, what do you do? What do you do whenever like I'm not here? Like you're you're forcing me to say I'm something I'm not. Mm-hmm. And you're forcing to, you know, make this my whole personality and my whole life. And this should not be my whole life. I just want to live my life as the non-binary person that I am. So yeah, I think the why it matters. And I hope that by then people were ready for a bit of a rant. Because I was like, <laughs> I <laughs> by now that I'm rational because let's not start with the rant at the beginning but it's like I hope you hopefully you know that I'm normal and rational let's go to the emotional rant uh, so yeah I think I left that at the end yes you did uh, <laughs> oh my gosh you're so passionate about this it's so awesome so I just want to pull a couple of threads through from from things that you said there and I, I think the thing that that showed up most for me when when you were talking about Jane Doe at the beginning and how we are required to show up when these define parameters, right? You you can't be too shy because you have to make sure that you're caring about everybody else, but you can't be too big or too loud or too much. That's that's not okay. And so there's this this super narrow band of what is acceptable, and uh, and our culture essentially shames us into staying within that band because if you go outside of it you know i work with with parents who are like how do i get my kid to be more outgoing if if there are two on you know on the on the shy side or uh, i mean there's so much shame around being too big too much uh, so 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 that sort of happens uh, by itself without the parent even needing to do anything and then of course the same thing is happening for our boys as well where they are shamed for doing anything that that steps outside of that heteronormative uh, framework. And I mean, we're, we're constraining our ability to be whole people essentially, uh, by putting ourselves, by allowing ourselves, by living within a culture that says, these are the only ways of being, there's a, you're, you're a boy or you're a girl. And instead, you know, what if I'm somewhere across all of this and I, I can't explore that. I can't understand that. I can't express that because that's not okay. And I'll be shamed for it. And, and that has such, has had such profound implications for us parents who are listening to this and it will as well for our children and the yeah. choices that we are making, right? Every single thing that you walk through about how we talk to our children, the books we are reading, the movies that we're watching, the the ways that we're exploring consent, each of those little things adds up into this shamed little version of ourselves or an expansive version of ourselves where we actually get to be who we really are. And that, that to me is why this is important. Yeah, and I think 
I think that's exactly it. And and that's why I'm awful at, at choosing titles. So whenever we were brainstorming about the title of the book, I was like, somebody come and help me. I ended up writing another book trying to say the title. Um, and yeah, and I loved it. Like a friend of mine came with Childhood Unlimited and I was like, yeah, that's it. Because that's what it is about for me. It's about how we unlimit kids. Like at the moment, the society just puts them again. Yeah. There's so many limitations. Nope. And in, in case of girls, more so. And in case of girls, like the limitation, like there is really not a right way. You almost know that you're always going to be too much of something. So you're like, you're just trying to balance like which one is it going to be? You know, which price I'm willing to pay to be this part of me. I mean, how am I going to compensate it so mm -hmm. I can have this thing? So that idea of a space in which we can be, you know, much freer and much more expansive and just explore who we are and how much potential and how much things we have in the table. And we're like, no, let's explore it all. Let's let's see who we really are whenever we take people out of the boxes and we just let them be. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'm glad that come across. Yes, absolutely. And so as we wrap up here, I am reminded of a conversation that I hosted with a listener a little while ago, and I made a promise coming out of that, that whenever I talk about white supremacy on the show, uh, that I wouldn't just give people information, <laughs> but give them ideas about what to do, organized a little bit by where they are on their journey. And so I'd love to kind of take that promise and apply it here as well. And I'm wondering if you can help us to understand, maybe if folks are new to this idea and we're like, you know, non-binary, this is the first time I've heard this. I, I'm very, very, very new to a lot of these ideas. What are some of the things I can do with my children that are different and will uh, help me to head down this path? Or if you were kind of nodding along like, yes, 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 I believe this already. And I think I'm doing a lot already. What, what's sort of a, a next step that those folks might be able to do? So I think the first thing for me is awareness. I know that in my own journey, once I see things, I cannot unsee it. So it doesn't even come with a lot of work. You know, like once somebody told me about my book, I was like, yeah, saw it. I cannot unsee it now. <laughs> so, and it happens with a lot of things. Like I think whenever you learn is somebody tells you something, it click, it makes sense. It's like, yeah, you know, so hopefully be open. I think one thing that I would really like to share with people about the parenting membership is just generally the holistic and sort of systemic approach that it takes that other resources that I have explored in the past, I don't know, two to five years have not addressed. And the book Parenting Beyond Power really gets into this as well. But it's not just do X, Y, Z and you'll have the solution or, you know, a prescribed, um, you know, script or set of actions to take. It really considers that every situation has to do with whole people, whole children, whole individuals, whole parents as adults, and looks at it from a perspective of really fully understanding that entire person. And then beyond that, looking at the family systems and looking at societal systems and the reasons why things that we maybe consider problematic aren't problematic and maybe should be pushed back on, you know, relating to, you know, patriarchy and white supremacy and capitalism. It's not an obvious connection until it is. And that's something really that this membership has had a huge impact on me in making me really, really take a deep dive into the values that I and my husband have and we want to have as a family and not just looking for easy fixes to problems, but really addressing these systems to make something that works as a whole. 
The parenting membership will be open for enrollment between May 5th and 15th. We have sliding scale pricing and a 100% money back guarantee. Learn more at yourparentingmojo.com forward slash parenting membership. And be curious around you. So whenever that curiosity of like, okay, I'm going to try that thing whenever I'm reading the book, or I'm going to try that thing. I'm going to try to watch one show and see how many things I spot. Or I'm going to go to a shop to buy clothes and be like, how uncomfortable, like, what do I feel like those clothes are sending? So even if it's just be curious about one thing, what is that I feel like you know, especially whenever it's a very emotional answer. And I get a lot of people with very emotional answers. I, I'm like, just be curious. Just just go out on an exploration journey. Just, just to see how is this reinforced. Even if you still think that there is a natural aspect of it, how is this reinforced? And again, like, if and if you already believe this, well, I, you're probably in the same journey as me. So I think we played by ear and we listen to our kids because kids are so wise. I mean, I learned so much because they are naturally ahead in some of the things because they don't have concepts that we have. So just keep having those conversations and just see where their minds are going and then and be open to talk to them. Like, what do you think that? Oh, that makes sense. Or, oh, where'd that come from? So again, it's just, I'm, I'm a big fan of talking, especially like, well, with everybody, adults and kids, but like kids are fascinating and, and you are very easy to see. Oh, I wonder where this idea is coming from. Like, where is she getting that idea from? Or he is getting that idea. And there's loads of information about this whole, it's not new, but this is scary new thing of non-binary and trans. And, and it is our responsibility, I guess, to read. Like at the moment, none of my kids, I mean, both of my kids seem to be cis. I don't know if they're always going to be cis, but I don't. Gender. So gender assigned. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think there's their sex at the moment is aligned yeah. with the gender. They refer to themselves as Eric as a boy and Nora as a daughter. But I don't know if that's going to be like that mm-hmm. uh, forever. So I just play by what they say. Mm-hmm. And I try to give them the space to be like, well, if they ever say there's something different, then we'll explore that together. And same with their sexuality. I always talk about if you have a partner, I'm not assuming that any of my kids are heterosexual. I'm assuming that my kids, you know, will may have partners in the future. And I don't know how that's going to look like. So even creating those spaces and changing a couple of words and a couple of things that gives them so much permission to explore things farther. Yeah. And if I can add one idea to it that came up as for, for me as we were coming through this conversation was the, the idea of discomfort and what that signals, right? And I I was super uncomfortable with using they, them pronouns for people that we didn't know already what their gender was. And it hadn't fully occurred to me until we were talking about all the areas where we feel discomfort as parents, that that's a real signal for me, right? Like if if I'm noticing that my child is referring to someone as they, and that's making me super uncomfortable, then that's something I can really kind of tune into and ask, what's going on here? Why is this uncomfortable for me? And maybe if I'm in the early stages of that journey, there's nothing I can do differently about it right now. And I'm still going to refer to he and she, but maybe I can take that on over time and become more comfortable with it and realize that so much of my discomfort is based on my conditioning (laughs) and what I've been taught is acceptable and that I can unlearn that if I think that it's important. So that's something I really picked up from this conversation that I'm going to carry forward. So thank you for that. Thanks. And I think it's that defensive part 
part and again I do it as well yeah. just like we whenever do. you're uncomfortable rather instead of defending yourself just to stay with the comfort stay with the is it about it uh, and be curious about that and comfort yeah awesome well thank you so much for being here and for writing the book as well I got so much out of reading it and I know listeners will as well so thanks Virginia thanks for having me yeah. And so a link to Virginia's book, Childhood Unlimited Parenting Beyond the Gender Bias, can be found at yourparentingmojo.com forward slash childhood unlimited. Don't forget that Jen's book will be out in August and will help make parenting easier. If you want to be notified about book readings near you or maybe bringing Jen to your town for a workshop, just visit yourparentingmojo.com forward slash book.